Hello and welcome back to Reality Check. Some of you may have seen the Facebook post already, but I have now made the promotions that I mentioned a few episodes back a reality. Uh, they include a tiered subscription system and referral rewards. Aside from offering people the chance to save money, the real goal of the subscription plans is to keep people steady and consistent on the track towards bettering their life. I've had nothing but positive experiences with my clients so far, but one aspect that I've noticed is a hindrance is that it's easy for people to slip in and out of the desire to keep up with the sessions. It's not that they decide they no longer need life coaching or that they've soured on me as their life coach. It's just that real life has a way of getting in the way, and that's completely understandable. The problem is that while introspection and self-improvement may seem like small potatoes when you've got a deadline at work uh, or when there's partying to be had, the importance never actually decreases. And the really troubling thing is that the longer you ignore it, the more likely you are to slip back into old patterns. Eventually what happens is that those old patterns build up again to the point of misery. And that's where the clients remember, oh yeah, I should shoot Brian an email and schedule another session. The subscription plans are a way to try to keep the progress steady, instead of treating it like the stock market where you rally and then crash over and over again. Especially since for a lot of people, all it really takes is a few months of sustained effort to make lasting change, such that you won't need a life coach ever again. And that's the true mission, after all. The other promotion is a referral rewards program, and it's really simple. If you refer someone to me and they book a full-price session after their free intro session, you get a $25 gift card for Amazon.com. If they instead book a subscription that includes four or more sessions, you get a $40 gift card. And I admit, in the same way that you get excited about giving gifts on Christmas, I'm really excited to give out these gift cards. Uh, you can find all the details for this, especially the subscription breakdowns, on the new promotions page listed on the menu bar at the top of the website. Please let me know if you find anything confusing, because I'm looking to make all of this as simple and easy to work with as possible, and I would greatly appreciate any feedback. Alright, this week I got an email that wasn't so much a question, but rather a theory that someone wanted to float and have me weigh in on. Uh, and I must say, I love that idea. So if you have your own theories about psychology or self-improvement, or even if you disagree with something I've talked about here, send it on over and I'll be happy to grapple with it. This person wrote, I have a theory. I see a lot of people who have grown up with stable, sheltered lives. For example, their parents were always happily together. They never lost any friends or relatives or had any major events in their life that would make them feel different from the rest of their peers. When these people get into their adult lives and find themselves not on the same track as everyone else, such as with their job, relationships, etc., they suddenly don't know how to deal with feeling different from their peers. That's where the pressure comes from, societal norms and being in sync with the rest of your age group. Maybe this falls into your episode on comparing yourselves to others and letting social media get to you. People who have gone through something earlier in their lives that forced them to be different from their peers have already made peace with the idea of being different. These people are more inclined to be okay on their own and accept themselves for who they are. I've noticed this with several friends and thought this might be their issue. What do you think? Uh, the episode referred to is number 31, entitled Hell is Not Other People, in case you want to check that one out first and come back. Alright, so this is an interesting theory, and I definitely think there's an element of truth in it. The first thing I'll say is that all of this is an extremely imprecise endeavor, meaning you start from who you are now, you label and categorize and identify all of your behaviors, your emotions, your coping mechanisms, and on and on. From there, you try to tie it all back to, to where it started, and this is where all the famous psychologists start coming in, such as Freud. Uh, 
and I'm sure many of you know how well his theories have held up. My point with all this is that it's a messy business with millions of variables, most of which are pretty hard to spot, even for a trained psychologist. When I work with clients, of course part of it includes going back and trying to figure out how we got here, and that means taking a look at parents, upbringing, childhood trauma, etc. But the goal is always to get to the point where we say, okay, now that we generally know what led to what, how can we use that information going forward? I agree with the listener's main point that one of the hardest things to come to grips with in life is the fact that we are all different. Uh, we all are charting our own course through life, and there's no such thing as the right way through it. Of course, we all try to minimize obvious wrong paths, such as you know getting addicted to drugs, dating an abusive person. But when it comes to your career path or other nuanced and highly variable life puzzles, the listener has it exactly right. You need to realize as quickly as possible that feeling out of place is something to welcome, not dread. Our unique paths through life are what make us adaptable, creative, resourceful, and they lead us to coming up with solutions that are way more interesting and rewarding than if we had followed a predetermined course. Now, the other notion brought up here is basically whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and if you go through enough of these uh, strengthening experiences early on as a child and teenager, you're more resilient as an adult. Here's where I might disagree, at least in part. It's not the traumas themselves that make us stronger, it's how we learn to react to them. And we decide how we react to them based mostly on how we watch our parents react to them as children. Uh, they set the example that we follow. From there, we use our own experience to reinforce that mimicking. And that's how a great many coping mechanisms are formed. Say there are two teenagers, and they both go through a similar hardship. Let's say their breadwinner father loses his job, and now the whole family has tumbled from a position where money isn't a big deal to now they're living paycheck to paycheck. One of the teenagers watches as her parents react emotionally and irrationally to it. The dad slips into a depression and can't gather the motivation to work his way back up to his previous position. Uh, the mom continues to spend money as if their income hasn't changed because materialism is how she, she feels good about herself and her life. The teenager with those parents is going to go one of two directions. Either she's going to learn to imitate her mom and dad to varying degrees, or at the very least, she's going to be completely at a loss because even if she knows that what her parents are doing is stupid, she's not being taught any correct ways of viewing and dealing with the situation. Now compare that to someone whose parents set about immediately taking steps to remedy the problem. They all instantly agree that spending has to drop while they recover from the job loss. Maybe the mom figures out a way to work while the dad, you know, works his old connections to find uh, an inn at some other company. And meanwhile, both parents explain to their kid that yes, this is an unfortunate and unexpected turn, but it's not the end of the world. It'll just be a little rough while they figure out a new solution. No panic, no insecurities broadcast out for the teen to absorb, just action and reaction. It's the same hardship, but vastly different responses, and thus vastly different teenagers who come out on the other side. Now obviously I'm simplifying this a great deal in order to illustrate my point. Each and every day, especially when we're young, we're observing and learning how to deal with life usually in tiny little instances, sometimes in healthy ways and sometimes in awful ways. But again, the point is not that some people go through hardships and that makes them strong, while other people have easy lives and that makes them weak. 
Trust me, if you learned irrational approaches to dealing with hardships, you can end up much weaker than someone coming from a relatively easy life. So why did I shift the focus from life events to parents? Because just like everything, the only way to grapple with an issue in order to improve it is to ask yourself, what can I control and what can't I control? No one can control the amount or intensity of the external pressures thrust on us, especially as a child. It's not as if someone who is stagnant and listless in his life should wish to be involved in a car accident because that's going to toughen him up emotionally or something. And even if we go back in time and live a different life where hardships were more commonplace, it wouldn't change anything because we would still have the same parents and teachers providing that irrational example to follow. Putting the emphasis on the hardships is the wrong way to look at it. The reason I put the emphasis on parents and other childhood role models is because how we view those people in retrospect can be changed. When we realize that it was never the external forces in our lives shaping us, that it was always the people closest to us teaching us either that the world is scary or, or out to get us, or that the world is an empty canvas waiting for someone to paint on it, that's the distinction, that's the turning point where we gain some amount of control. Wishing to have lived a different life under different circumstances is pointless because it can't happen. But what can happen is to take our memories, think about them in a different way, and draw different conclusions than we did when we were younger. And in time, maybe rewire our minds and reflexes to do the rational thing, regardless of, or maybe despite, how our parents have handled it. Personally, I found that people who maintain that they had great childhoods, but are now inexplicably miserable and ill-equipped for life, they tend to look back with rose-colored glasses. They might not have been abused or molested or had to deal with death or war or starvation or anything so dramatic, but when you scrape below the surface, you'll find, you know, maybe a mother who used to use food to self-medicate or regulate her emotions, or a father who thought that yelling was the best and fastest way to get his way when confronted with disagreement. These are small things, and they might not register when someone casually asks you if you had a troubled childhood, but they do matter. And over the course of 18 years, they do add up. So, uh, listener, uh, to your friends who claim to have had a great upbringing with perfect parents, perhaps try to convince them to dig a little deeper, maybe with the aid of a therapist or a life coach. Um, we are the end result of everything that come, that's come before. If someone feels unhappy or out of control or fearful of the world, that's the effect to a certain cause or causes in our past. And as long as those friends insist that their past was amazing, the only conclusion can be, it's all my fault, my upbringing was great, I'm just a failure. And that's not an acceptable conclusion. Uh, someone failed to teach your friend some important, you know, how to become an adult lessons. And while it's still up to them to learn those lessons now, that can't begin to happen so long as they're stuck in, I'm a failure mode. So the first step is to break apart that self-defeating illusion. All right, well, that was fun to grapple with someone else's psychological theory. Um, it was a little harder than the standard question, and, and it took me a few days to roll around in my head because some of it was a good observation, but when the emphasis is placed on the wrong facet of the problem, it can be tricky to figure out a way to view it from the most healthy angle. Uh, and that's a lot of what uh, my life coaching involves. My clients are far from idiots. Uh, most times they've been to a therapist already, and they know a great deal about themselves. But even with that level of introspection, they're still stuck because they're focused on the wrong part of the problem. So my job becomes 
taking that same exact information and working with the client to reorganize those puzzle pieces so they form a slightly different picture, preferably one that can be controlled. Anyway, uh, as I said earlier, uh, I welcome you all listening to follow suit if it interests you. If you've got a pet theory that you want me to play around with and dissect, send me a message through uh, the contact form on my website, uh, through email or Facebook or wherever else. Uh, you know where to find me, and so until next time, thanks for listening.